Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome back into the Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. Well, the playoffs are here. So much good basketball. And for the Pacers, well, they've matched up against the reigning champs, led by LeBron James. As we record this, it's Friday, one day after the Pacers squandered a 25-point halftime lead. It was a tremendous first half, but man, that second half. They lost 119-114 to to fall behind 3-0 in the best-of-seven series, and history is not on their side. Well, to talk about that, Paul George, LeBron James, it's a repeat guest. Jason Smithers joining me for the second time. He's a trainer with Rob Blackwell over at St. Vincent Sports Performance, working with pros like Gordon Hayward, George Hill, Josh McRoberts, NBA hopefuls, all the way down to kids. Jason, what's going on, man? Hey, Scott. How's it going? It's doing well. We we kind of had this conversation on my car ride home last night. I'm kind of surprised you were still up. You attended the game, so you were right there. You felt the atmosphere and I just basically wanted to have kind of a repeat conversation of what we discussed last night. First of all, let's start with some positives from the Pacers' standpoint. How about that first half and the way they really jumped out to begin the game? Yeah, that was perfect. I mean, they, you couldn't draw it up any better. They just It seemed that they kind of adjusted to Cleveland and just started playing very fast. And, and when you hit shots like that at a high level, you're going to score. I mean, you're going to beat teams, but... Is it sustainable for 40 minutes, which is or 48 minutes, which it wasn't? So it's, it, it's it'll be interesting to see what they do next, though. That's because the first half was good, but was that just a flash in the pan? Like every NBA team gets hot every once in a while, right? Everybody strings together a, a strong stretch. It's a game of runs, and so you know, 25 point lead while it was halftime. You really couldn't afford to relax, and that's what that's what this Pacers team did after a, a strong first two quarters. Well, and I, I wouldn't even say they relaxed because I don't think you ever, ever relax when you're playing against LeBron. You don't think the they Cavs relaxed with all their firepower? It felt that way. I don't way, think though. they relaxed. I think the Cavs just showed up, and then we tightened up. I would never say that the Pacers actually relaxed. It was just they just didn't. The Cavs made an adjustment at halftime. They moved. They started playing small ball. We never adjusted back on top of it, and we were just really playing on our heels the whole second half. I don't. I think the only play, I think the the real defining moment of the game was the time when Lance Stevenson didn't take the three in the second half when he passed up a wide open three, pulled it out, and we tried to run an offense and got nothing out of it. That's interesting. I can't even pinpoint. I can't remember that play off the top of my head. Yeah, fourth quarter, it was when they kicked it up to Lance and McMillan lost his mind about it because Lance passed up a wide-open three and just started palming it with one hand. And we could have had the momentum again. And it was like it was almost like we started playing on our heels not to lose. If we're smart, you know, we have a chance. 
versus being loose, going out, hitting you in the mouth. And we just let them just start bullying us. And so much, and then go ahead. you hit shots, they hit shots, and they're going to win. So much of it, too, was the defense, not getting stops, Cleveland finally hitting some shots. Hey, LeBron, I mean, from downtown, he's not a tremendous three-point shooter historically. He made half of his three-pointers both for the game, 6 of 12, and in that second half going 4 of 8. It's, I mean, when LeBron's hitting three-pointers, what can't he do when it, when it gets to that point? We know how dominant he is when he goes one-on-one or he attacks from that top of the key. Well, in, in come playoffs, LeBron does everything. Everything. So he's going to take whatever you give him. And so when he went to the rim, what was really amazing with what LeBron did was how many times he passed up layups for them to shoot threes. There was four or five times in the second half where he was at the rim and kicked out to Shanning Fry or kicked out to Corver and took the three over the dunk. And that works, though, Jason, because of the, the personnel. And so he's rewarding them for the spacing. I, 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 this is how I take it, at least. He's rewarding them then for knocking down those shots. Corver was not really too much of a factor in the first two games, unless you kind of count that as a, a, a way that the Pacers had to defend him and it kept one defender out of the lane. He only had four points. But then last night, in, in that loss, ended up with 12 and, and played a key part there in that second half. Well, yeah, with that lineup that they switched to in the second half, going basically small ball with LeBron at the four, Shanning Fry at the five, D. Will at the one, Corver. It there's there's not a lot you can the Pacers can do to match up with that unless you move Paul George to the four or five. The only way that the Pacers can counter that lineup is to go even smaller, because it's just it's not like those guys are gonna beat you one on one or that they're gonna all have good games and and those guys being Corver, J.R. Smith, Shanning Fry, D. Will. But the thing about them is, is if you relax for two seconds, they're going to make you they're going to make you pay. They're always going to hit that open shot. Mm -hmm. So with the Cavs really basically playing five out, ISO LeBron and let LeBron make the right play. Well, he's always going to make the high percentage play every single time. That's how good he is. And when you surround it with those other guys, it's basically comes down to can which what happened to me last night, can Thaddeus Young guard LeBron? That was essentially the situation in the whole second half. And versus, real, realistically, nobody you know, can guard LeBron. <laughs> That's ultimately what it is. Well, nobody can, but, but the Pacers' best chance is to have PG on LeBron when it matters. Of course, right. And so in the first half, LeBron and PG were guarding each other because Cleveland was playing Tristan Thompson. They were playing Kevin Love. So they were playing LeBron at the traditional three spot and not playing essentially small ball. Then in the second half, they move LeBron to the four. We stay with our bigger lineup, and we're and we can't do it anymore because then PG's not guarding LeBron. LeBron's not having to guard PG. That means LeBron gets to play center field on defense, which is the scariest thing to try to game plan for ever. And then on offense, LeBron's going against a bigger guy than a bigger, slower guy than PG. So it just. Didn't the way Tyron Lue switched the second half in terms of how he ran with those guys and didn't play K Love and didn't play Kyrie? It really screwed the Pacers up in terms of what their game plan was. And McMillan just never seemed to get back ahead of Tyron Lue in his next move. How much time can you even think that the Pacers spent on, oh, maybe two of their best players won't play for 14 minutes, the final 14 minutes of the game? 
Probably zero. Well, well the thing the thing is though, but if you also told the Pacers you're going to score 114 points a game against the defending champs, you're going to like your chances. The thing is, Cleveland's defense has been historically bad all season long. They're amazing offensively, but the defense is almost just as bad. And so I think they came in expecting to score points, maybe not 114, but it's been since March since they haven't scored over 100 points, something like 10 straight games. So they've had success offensively. But that that just leads, going back to the first time when I was on your podcast, was we talked about what the Pacers' goals were and how they talked about we want to play fast, we want to score, we want to play fast, we want to score. Right, right. Well, and remember the big asterisk at that point was can the Pacers defend? And the whole point was that's not a point of emphasis. The problem is the Pacers have ran into the one team in the Eastern Conference that can outscore you if you're scoring. That defense, yeah, that, that's been an issue for both of these teams. Both are in the bottom tier. I want to say the Pacers are third to last in defensive efficiency, which is, is strange to see because we're used to, over the last you know five years, under Frank Vogel, headed up by Dan Burke, two in the defense, they've been elite, like top three, one, number one for a couple years. And number one, it's the personnel getting away from it, but it's also the emphasis and what you're trying to get out of your team. And it's it's tilted towards the offensive side of things yeah it's definitely swung off and you can see that in the first half the first half we didn't care about playing defense now we got stops but we were trying to run and go as quick as possible to get quick looks good looks in the first half and then the problem was in the second half they just never got we never got to run and they were running back on us and if you don't and when you don't force turnovers and don't get deflections it's very, very hard to win games. That was a stat that jumped out to me post game. I, I always like to peruse the box score, see if anything beyond points, assists, triple doubles jump out to me. Zero turnovers for the Cavaliers in the final two quarters when they outscored the Pacers seventy to forty. And this Pacers well, team, this Pacers team zero, leads zero to zero turnovers their... for LeBron in the second half. Right, and LeBron right. had the ball ninety five percent of the half, basically, unless he was passing to somebody to shoot it. There's got to be some metric for that where, like, LeBron's had the most – I mean, I'm sure somebody's seen it somewhere where it's like LeBron had the highest usage rate in the half with no turnovers ever because he had the ball the whole half and never made a bad choice. Yeah, he played all 24 minutes. The next guy on his team was Darren Williams playing just over 16 second-half minutes. He shouldered the load, and that's why, as again, we discussed this last night – there's no argument. Year after year, LeBron is the MVP of the league. No one is taking anybody above LeBron if you're drafting, say, for one year and to win a championship. That's what I laugh about. And then the thing, too, is you have to watch the game. There's so many people nowadays that fall in love with the box scores and the statistics. Until you see LeBron play, it's the intangibles that really set him over the top. Yeah, he gets his numbers, but it's what else he does when he's on the floor that just sets him head and shoulders above anybody else in the league it's just what he does from a defensive impact from being a floater to being able to be on the ball to guarding there was a couple possessions he was guarding our five and then the next possession he's switching onto the one and then offensively it's just he's the best point guard in the league at the forward position point forward yeah and you can make the argument that he's better for a team defense, playing that safety position rather than just kind of neutralizing one guy like a Paul George. Oh, yeah, because if you put him – because, like, that's what – in the first half, LeBron was on PG, 
in the beginning of every action. And it was taking him out of the safety role. And when you were able to make LeBron guard the ball and then you start moving it, the rest of their team does not have the instincts to make the right rotation every time. Or like LeBron does, LeBron can essentially guard two people with one rotation, which is one of the most impressive things about him is he's on the weak side. He can make it feel like both guys on the weak side are being guarded. Where most people, you just swing it to the wing, that guy gets closed out, and then you hit the corner for the wide open corner three, or you hit the corner, you close out to there, and then you pass to the wing for the wide open three. When LeBron's on that weak side, it doesn't feel that way. You just never get that shot. The thing with this award, and I'm not a big award guy anyway, but just because this season there's been so much talk because of the triple doubles with Russell Westbrook, I I don't find that brand of basketball, talking about Oklahoma City, enjoyable. When he's throwing up 47 shots, hitting below like 30, he's like 30% of them, knocking them in. And, and the trouble is that we saw in the last couple of playoff games about this, and I, I really don't want to talk about other series as too much, but... And then the teammates become too reliant, dependent on Russell, and that's where things can go wrong for a team like the Thunder. Well, and you see the same thing happen with the Pacers occasionally. When PG really gets going, you start to see everybody else kind of stand around and watch. And when you look at a bunch of teams across the league, the really, really good teams, if they're the, the only team that wins, when everybody stands and watches is Cleveland. Because you know if you're standing and watching LeBron and your guy helps, they surround him with shooters. Golden State, they never stand and just watch. Houston surrounded James Harden with shooters. So when they're standing and watching, the moment the defense falls asleep, you got Eric Gordon, you got all those dudes hitting. The problem with OKC is if Russ isn't doing it all and you're watching Russ, who's he kicking to? No, that's he true. Has, that's true. He, he doesn't have those nothing, weapons. He has nothing to work for him. So at the end of the day, I, if I'm OKC, I'm living with Russ shooting 45 times before I start having Roberson or Canner or any of those dudes start shooting the ball. Yeah, there's a lot to that, no doubt. And that's why I would, year after year, at least for now, continue to vote LeBron MVP, and I'd, and I'd make Greg Popovich the coach of the year. And no one can tell me otherwise that there's a better coach or better player in the league currently. Yeah, it's, it, it, I'm biased towards LeBron because I think that it's just not even close, and I think we all take for granted how good he is and it's, just how dominant he can be on an every-night basis. And he takes a lot of heat for the resting and for all this stuff. But it, it, to me, he completely justifies – himself when he gets to the playoffs because for a guy at his stature and his level of activity and playoff games there's no way he can play a whole regular season and play that much of a load in the playoffs and stay healthy i think i was looking it up today Eight thousand playoff minutes only three players still playing with more paul pierce joe johnson dirk nowitzki and nobody is playing at the level like lebron is then you throw in team usa then you throw in all his travel in the offseason and working at camps, running camps. I, I can't complain about LeBron taking, picking and choosing his rest when it is appropriate within the schedule, particularly on the second night of a back-to-back. Now, if it's someone, let's say, just for the heck of it, Lance Stevenson taking a night off for rest, which is, isn't going to happen, hasn't happened, that 
I totally understand it. That that is wrong. That is an issue. LeBron though, no, no concerns. Yeah, there's just you just have to be able to justify it. And when you look across the league, there's only a couple guys that you can really justify it for. And in seeing what LeBron did last night, especially, it I have no problem if he wanted to rest the last month of the regular season, to be honest. If he's going to put on shows like that in the playoffs, that's what you—that's what we're really here for. And that, that's why we love the game. I forget what the NBA hashtag. That's why they play. That's why we love the game. For the, yeah. you, I don't know how you couldn't appreciate the greatness that we saw from from LeBron and the way he, not only his contributions but the way he orchestrated things in that second half. I was happy, like you probably were, to just witness that. You know, I just used a corny Nike cliche, but to witness and be in person f- to see that. Well, it's not, a, it's not even a cliche when literally anytime you are in the building when LeBron plays, you are witnessing something you've never seen before. And that's something big He's to you, I know. one of the very few guys that you can see on a nightly basis that will do something that you've never seen done before on a basketball court. Yeah. And that alone is worth any price of admission. That alone is worth him taking a night off here and there so that he can perform to those standards in the playoffs. Because at his level, nobody really cares anymore what he does in the regular season. And it shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter. If they were the fifth seed, if they were the eighth seed with the same roster, but they kind of coasted the final month and a half, would anybody be picking Boston over the Cavs if it was a 1A matchup? No way. Because, number one, you have LeBron, and also you understand the circumstances that would have surrounded a decision like that. Yeah, and... Really, the one, the most interesting thing to me about the whole LeBron, Cavs playoff, how they mold, is whatever they do defensively. It they're the one team that they actually like get better in the playoffs. Most teams fine tune and make adjustments. The Cavs actually get better every playoff. Now, a lot of it has to do with LeBron being fully engaged defensively every play, and. Something, there's something to be said about that. But the way that they transform their defense, like it's interesting to watch them during this play, Pacers series because you can see them tinkering with lineups, playing different things. And it's like the next lineup we're going to see is LeBron. At some point this postseason, we're going to see LeBron at the five. LeBron will be the five. They'll be running Kyrie, Darren, J.R., Corver, and LeBron at the five. How – how do you stop that? I don't think it's possible. And that's what we'll have to see from them in the finals. Should they meet Golden State, which is kind of expected, and I'd like to see part three go on here. They would probably have to adapt and play that type of style. I'm not sure you can have several bigs in there going against the run-and-gun style like the Warriors like to do. No, you can't. And the only way you can match up with them is to go extremely small, which the Cavs are doing now against the Pacers. And I don't think the Cavs planned on having to go with small ball against the Pacers. So that's the interesting aspect because Tristan Thompson is a monster on the glass against the Pacers. But the moment you take Tristan out and put in a shooter, the Cavs just transform into a team that the Pacers can't even really belong on the court with. It's just not, they're just that good when they do that. And it's no knock to the Pacers. It's just the Cavs have that good LeBron's that good of a player, and they have that good of shooters around him. 
And with Tristan, the word that comes to mind for me is just relentless. He's always moving. He's always looking for a better um, rebounding position. He's going to outwork a guy like Miles Turner inside. And not only has he kind of neutralized Miles Turner, but you're kind of seeing some of the youth and inexperience uh, with Miles. What have you seen um, with that matchup? Tristan Thompson, I think, gets fouled every offensive shot that the Cavs take. I mean, watching him last night, every time there was a shot that went up, it looked like somebody was holding him, somebody was grabbing him. His activity level is unbelievable. And he's another guy, though, that it's like if the matchup's right, Tristan Thompson makes his money in the playoffs. It's And it just goes on and on with all the Cavs players. It's like they are built for the playoffs. Kyrie is a regular season guy and a big shot maker in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And Kyrie can win the regular season for them. Kevin Love can win the regular season for them. LeBron doesn't have to do the regular season. No. That's just a normal. That's just a fun night of basketball for him in the regular season. And then we see him get locked in. Some might not like the publicity of it, but the zero dark thirty turning things off and and really locking in, which I think I would do as much as, as difficult as it might be, because there can be so many distractions, so much talk. And we saw that kind of surrounding Paul George in the last week where he said nothing wrong. He was specifically asked about players and national guys tried to spin it as is he trying to deal his way out of Indiana or he's already looking forward to Los Angeles. I would that type of stuff is why players sometimes dislike media or dislike specific media members. Well, that's why you don't want to, that's why you don't even want to say anything when the media is around. Because it's just going to be taken out of context. It's like if anybody was paying attention and actually listened to the questions that are asked and the answers that are given. It's not even close. But then you have guys that oh, it's the playoffs, so I'm going to start covering basketball or you know Oh, well, now I'm going to watch. This might be the first time anybody's watched the Pacers all season. I mean, and justifiably so. They didn't have a great regular season. They're the seventh seed, and they're watching the Pacers because of LeBron and the Cavs. Well, there's just no need (laughs) to draw up drama over nothing. It's just, it doesn't make sense. It's not, that to me is the biggest downside of everyday media. Mm-hmm. For yeah, the no NBA. doubt. No doubt. It's because there's too many announcing, too many announcers. There's too many media people that want to get clicks or want to get views or want to get followers. And rather than getting real substance and honest and real facts, they will pick and choose and take bits and pieces here and mold a story out of nothing. And then it's like, why would. If I were Paul George, why would I ever talk to the person who interviewed him again that put that article out? I if, if person, it was up to me and should, you could their, manage their it, I wouldn't either. Be taken away. They should be done. No, you can't do that. Why not? You can't do that. It, they're harming. They are getting in the way. You have they're to allow to free press. They're trying to manipulate public perception of a guy that's trying to win a dang playoff game. Mm-hmm. But a lot so of these, why, a lot of these are like radio shows, allowed, and so they have content you be to produce. To pick and choose. Pick and choose what? Why should you be allowed to pick and choose out of a long comment what you want to talk about? It's just, I think, I think the media at times oversteps the boundaries in terms of wanting to talk about something. Sometimes there's nothing to talk about. Yeah, that usually comes by the summer. 
And so you try to create, you try to, whether it's best sports movie of all time or the, the classic one is Pete Rose, a Hall of Famer. Those type of discussions. But I, I, I wonder how many of these national guys, like you said, had watched Paul George in the Pacers throughout reg- regular season. Have any of them even talked with Paul one-on-one or at a scrum? Are these guys even going into the locker room? And also, how many of them watched the five-minute podium press conference? Probably not many of them. Maybe they didn't even hear the question that was asked. Yeah, <laughs> it, they, the whole they thing's laughable. They might just be seeing the snippet on Instagram. <laughs> right, 60 seconds. Oh, well, I heard. Nah, get out of here. All right, enough of that talk. I don't want – I'm over that whole thing just because it was kind of fabricated and made up by those far outside here in Indianapolis. Well, it's a Pacers podcast, so I do want to circle back. Let's talk about Paul George and, and what he's done. He's clearly taken his game to another level. Maybe it's a higher intensity. Maybe it's bringing it um, you know, more here towards the end of the season, a better focus. But you sometimes say you don't like Paul going kind of over the top and, let's say, scoring more than 35 points. You think that could be a detriment oftentimes to the Pacers. Why? Yeah, it just it seems to be whenever Paul has his breakout games, the standout NBA All-Star, you know, all-NBA type games, everybody else just seems to stop. Because whenever Paul gets going – the Pacers seem to break into ISO Paul and it starts to be one-on-one and then we start to break down and then everybody, it was kind of like how last night went when we were flowing at the beginning, everybody's touching the ball. Paul had what two points in the first quarter and we score 37 points. Second quarter, Paul starts hitting a few more shots. Things get going a little better. Everything. 21 second chance points. Everybody's getting touches. Paul's active on the boards. I mean, Paul played phenomenal last night. But then we get to the third quarter. Paul's killing by now. But then it starts to become ISO Paul George. And he starts to walk LeBron down and try to go one-on-one on him. And then he has it on the wing, and he tries to go ISO. And we're no, and he's no longer getting things within the flow of the offense or running. I think Paul's best running off screens. I think he's one of the best shooters in the league coming off screens, off ball. And I think then the bonus with Paul is when you then get the ball in his hands, he's going to make good plays. And he can score very – Paul is a tough shot maker. But – you don't want to take a lot of those tough shots that he forces himself into because everybody else is just standing. How much of that, though, Jason, is a product of the league and of, of ISO ball throughout the league and have and maybe feeling like, well, I got to shoulder the load or, or we're not going anywhere? Well, it kind of brings us back to the Russell Westbrook right. um, theory of is Paul surrounded by guys that can actually contend at a high level like Paul is? I think and somewhat. C.J. Miles will bury the open three. Jeff Teague can. Lance maybe at 30%. But no, he doesn't have that supporting cast um, that benefits and, and has its has their specialty, whereas LeBron can pick apart the defense and take advantage of that. Yeah, and so in me saying the whole Paul George ISO thing doesn't seem to work, well, part of that could be because when Paul George gets going, other people just haven't gotten it going because either they can't or they won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so maybe that's why he has to shoulder the load a little bit more. But I think it's just, to me, it's the stagnant nature that happens when Paul gets going with the people surrounded by him. 
I, I don't want to, you know, branch off onto other teams too much, but it's you look at certain teams around the league, like a Boston or like a Utah or, and, or the Spurs, where one guy gets their points, but it's all within the offense. And they never really go isolation until the end of a quarter. Mm-hmm. And the Pacers never really seem to have that flow for a whole game. Now, like yesterday, they had it definitely for the first quarter. Second quarter was decent, but then the by the time we got to the fourth quarter, there was no semblance of an offense. Somewhat of guys just relaxing a little bit. Some of it was they weren't getting offense from their defense. They scored zero points off turnovers, again, because the Cavaliers didn't turn it over. And that's one way this team, and like most, kind of get in rhythm and find, find a groove. And then also had a somewhat of a cushion, 8-12 points. Then they were kind of hesitant on the offensive end. And then we saw, like you said, really nothing got going there offensively. And that's where the Cavaliers went on a big push, scored 35 points in both the third and fourth quarter. Yeah, and let's remember, at the end of the day, there's a reason they're the defending champs. Mm -hmm. Defending champs, you're never going to knock them out. They're never going to give up. They're going to go on a run. And there's a reason we're the seventh seed. Yeah, There's pace- a reason that on the last day of the regular season, the Pacers had a chance of not making the playoffs. It's just the top-to-bottom roster just isn't of the caliber that needs to be to contend in the NBA right now. There's people that could fit in. Like Paul could be on a championship team. He's that caliber of player. But nobody's on the caliber of LeBron where you can just put him with anybody, if that makes sense. No, it does. Do you think Paul George can be the best player on a championship contending team? That's a question we talk a lot about here. I think I think Paul George could be the best second option in NBA history. Mm, but not but not number one. I don't think he could be the number well, I think he could be the number one guy on a team like Boston that has a lot of really, really, really good number twos. But I don't not the the problem is you can't be a number one in the East and get past LeBron. Nobody's going to do it. Nobody. It's and, just that, not, and that brings, it's just not possible. And that brings up uh, maybe a conversation left for next week, but the Pacers have, have to decide what they want to be about right now. And I think you, sh- you should do all the things you can to keep Paul George. You want to keep him because you're not going to get a, a type of guy typically of that caliber. He might be probably is the best NBA player in franchise history here. That said, though, you're going against LeBron's best years. You're going against LeBron, as simple as that, at least for another three, four years. He's 32 right now. And so you have to consider, I think, if you're Pacer officials, Larry Burden and such, would you be better off planning for three or four years AL after LeBron, or do you just want to keep throwing out teams that will be first, second, even third round exits, but you made the playoffs, but you got some TV um, exposure there in the postseason? Well, the thing is, in the NBA, you know, things happen that are out of everybody's control. LeBron has been healthy for an unbelievable amount of stretch. Never missed a playoff game. That's amazing. And you always have to be prepared just in case he isn't. And that could be your year that you make it. Like you just like how Jordan, how he just went and played baseball for a year and then everybody else had a chance to win a championship. You just never know when that day is going to come. So you always have to be prepared to win now. But 
I personally don't see the opportunity barring LeBron getting injured or something crazy happening. I just don't see that opportunity for at least three more years. And Paul's not going to be that patient. I don't think I wouldn't, if I were him, miles Turner is going to be your cornerstone, which he needed, you know, he, the, the, the moment last night seemed a little big. Mm-hmm. He I had his big that. dunk, but he, 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 that jumper needs to be a little more consistent. If he can hit that jump shot, he can be the cornerstone of a franchise. And you can really build around him if he can get that thing consistent. Um, and because defensively, he's phenomenal. Then he's just got to get more comfortable rebounding. But Tristan Thompson's a tough matchup for that. Um, he's tough for anybody in the league. But yeah, it's just you're playing the game of do I roll the dice and try to get really, really lucky or do I try to play it safe and almost Boston style it into three, four more years, start accruing draft picks, start, you know, dumping the coffers and just really see what you can get going. But the problem is, is guys like Paul George don't come around. And that's what I keep trying to tell people. They're like, oh, let him go open up that open up roster spots. Maybe you you could get a, a top three pick and another first round pick. But well, you don't get guys like Paul George very easily. In the NBA. <laughs> exactly. And look how that's worked out. Ben Simmons injured. What they uh, the Nerlens Noel don't traded. And <laughs> oh, Embiid consistently Walker. injured. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's just it's it's just a game it's just the russian roulette game you play with the draft you just don't know there's so much unknown that you can't bank on the draft now if the pacers were able to you but you know, do have to hit on the draft you you can't whiff big either yeah and think about it it's hard you got to get hitting big is half luck there's not been a guarantee in the draft since lebron really and truly it's just they just don't come around that often. Last thing with LeBron. How about him living up to expectations? I can't imagine the pressure that he was facing in high school. And he's the chosen one. He's the next one. You know what? He is. And he's lived up to that. And you can, e- you can not easily, you can make the argument that he is better, better than Jordan, I think, at this point. You know you don't want to get me going on that argument because you know my stance. I do. <laughs> I'm, I'm team LeBron. You know, there's... There's no player that has carried the weight that he has with guys around him. Now, now, right now, he has very good players around him. And in Miami, he had some very good players around him. But early LeBron years, when he took Cleveland to the finals with Elgowskis. <laughs> what was that, 2007? Gibson, they had no business being there. They had no business, and he did it on his own. And then, to me, the biggest tell of LeBron is whenever he leaped, Whenever he leaves, when he left Cleveland, they went from NBA finals to not making the playoffs for three years. He leaves Miami. They went from NBA finals multiple years to not making the playoffs for a few years. Lottery team. It's just that's the level that this guy's on that. He just personally for him, he never misses the playoffs. He always performs in the playoffs. It's like. He's 30, what, 32? Yep. And he's already third all-time in playoff scoring. 
he passed what he, he passed Kobe the other night. Now, yeah, last MJ night. did it. The only the only the thing that MJ has on him is MJ is first and did it in less games than LeBron's already played. It's like MJ MJ got to number one and he did it in like ten less games than LeBron. But also at the same time, how many games has LeBron played in the playoffs where he just rested for the fourth quarter because they were up by thirty on Milwaukee or something? Yeah, they've ran off twenty straight first round victories. Like the, these these come not easily, but they're kind of expected at this point with LeBron's teams. They're typically the first seed and they run through the first several rounds. Yeah, you really just watch the Cavs in the Eastern Conference and just pray that LeBron doesn't get hurt so that you can have him in the finals again. It's like, all right, just don't mess this up. Everybody else is trying to fight and scrap and do whatever they can to get there, but it's LeBron. You just He just does it every time on all different He can win a game offensively, defensively. He can make adjustments to win games. He can He's the best passer that we see. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way he sees the floor, the way he changes what he does, and then what he probably does worse out of everything in the playoffs, he seems to hit threes. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, I can shoot if I need to. <laughs> his biggest weakness we saw last night was just free throw shooting where he missed seven of four. He made his percentage from three point land was the same as it was from the free throw line. And and I do want to clear, say one thing. One one difference that we see when LeBron leaves the team is that team invested so much into him and that roster that that's another reason why they drop off so much. And when he was back in Cleveland the first time, they didn't invest much in that roster. I'm I'm spe- more speaking about Miami, and then Bosch ba- yeah. was remember, and then Bosch had that sickness, and he hasn't been back. Way they tried to invest some in, but not enough, so they left and. How about yeah, the but job then Eric Spolster did? See what happens did. when LeBron just pops right back up in Cleveland and they go from 15 wins to 60. Yeah, but then they brought they, Kyrie was there. They brought in yeah, Kevin but Kyrie Love. had never won. Kyrie had never won 20 games in his career. But he had won. He's a, he's a winner. Where he went to Duke, he was successful in AAU level. He played a few games. What are we talking? A half yeah, dozen. That doesn't count. And then he came to the NBA and he got buckets and was Uncle Drew and had the best handles, but he never won. And then you just put one person in there, and you go from twenty to sixty. There was a lot of nope. roster management done there, but you're right. LeBron was probably he's probably worth I don't know fifteen wins, twenty oh, wins. LeBron, he's, Le, no, LeBron, it's 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 in the it's the proof that any where he leaves and anywhere he goes, he's a forty win difference. Forty? I, I can't go that far. No, you take LeBron off the Cavs this year, they don't make the playoffs. Yeah, they st- yeah, they do. Because they wouldn't construct Ow. the end of the bench like they did. They would have a very a very different end of the bench when when you're pouring 30 million into this guy, you're not going to have Dante Jones on your roster. You're not going to have James Jones. You probably wouldn't have Richard Jefferson on your roster. So if he was gone, you would spend elsewhere. But and you the put East him is not with these that guys good. who wouldn't make your roster and he, he wins. Right, because they complement each other so well. Wow, we spent a lot of time on LeBron, haven't we? <laughs> hey, he's worthy of it. He is. I just think sometimes, specifically because he puts out the play- Pacers so many times, Pacer fans, I think they need to come around and appreciate his game. We do. We all appreciate it. But you just, it's like you always appreciate the game. But at the same time, you want to beat the big guy so bad. Because he's just stood in their way, blocking the door for 
10 years. Yeah, and you just hope that you can beat Goliath one time. Because if we were, I mean, obviously the odds are whatever, whatever, but if the Pacers were to somehow come back and win this, It'd be the the best sporting moment in like Indiana history. According to history, there's a zero percent chance of that happening. Teams are zero and one twenty one when trailing three nothing. So can't say I'm expecting that one. Oh no, it, it won't <laughs> happen. But it, what'll be interesting is what ha- what what happens Sunday. Do the Pacers have any fight left in them? Right. Or this is this is a test of their character. Show up. Like Nate McMillan said, this is a little bit of a test of their character of their heart. If they're already ready for vacation, or if they have enough pride to go in there, and I don't care if they lose, but it's how you would lose and how tight of a game it is. Because these first three have been great games, decided by a total of twelve points. I'd watch all these. I mean, I could watch this all year. Just these, even if the Pacers lost every time, it would be worth watching this matchup over and over with how they played it in the last three games in the playoffs and the one game at the end of the regular season. We'll wrap up here with Lance Stevenson because he's been an integral part of what this Pacers team has done. Without him, I don't believe the Pacers would have made the playoffs. They had to win their final five games to qualify. They did, but they've since lost these three games. In your mind, is he a force for good on this roster? He's a great energy guy. It's just because the thing is, is he right now, the positives outweigh the negatives. Absolutely. It's no like, question. Even in the first half yesterday, he made a couple great plays, but he made some when he tried to throw the one-hand bounce pass through four people that was a turnover. Where was that going? Like, I still don't know. It, it had no chance. But it's just the but the point is is he did enough other things to outweigh that. Now, the thing with Lance is the NBA is not stupid. People there there's not there's a reason that there's a consensus on a guy in terms of the longer you leave him out there the higher chance that he's not going to be giving you those rewards anymore. And the question is, is can you give him more minutes? Like last night, he didn't play much in the second half. He played 24 minutes in total, just over 10 in the second half. And so if you put him out there more, are the returns going to be as good? I think so. Does it, does it detract? Does he, I mean, really? Here's the, the question again, back when he blew in LeBron's ear a couple of years ago, last night when he was getting in LeBron's face and palming the ball in front of LeBron and trying to ISO LeBron, was that what got LeBron going last night? Is is he the reason LeBron went off again? That's a fair question, and it's it's an idea and a thought that a lot of people have considered. Remember, he you know, said, this is our house, this is my house, and celebrated after knocking down a triple. They moved ahead ahead by 20 points there mid-third quarter. Now, if I'm LeBron, do I really need something like that to to get me going? Maybe. It's a boring first-round series is probably how he looks at it. He just wants to get through it. Um, But I I think Lance is a force for good. You're always looking for motivation, though. So when you're down 20 and you're like, because it it had to be getting to the point. If it would have got to 30-35, we wouldn't have seen LeBron, Kyrie, Kevin Love at all in the second half, probably. Maybe for like a in four that fourth push. quarter, at least, yeah. But by getting, why? It's just I understand excitement, I understand energy, and I'm not faulting Lance for anything he did last night. I thought he was great, but you don't want to poke the bear that many times. You want to let him sleep. 
don't bring him out of the cave a little bit is what you're thinking there. Yeah, now, just, from Lance, I love yeah, the just energy. Just plugging along. Just do your job. It's like San Antonio. You just plug <laughs> along, you do your job, and then you go home. For most of the guys, that's true, but not Lance. He, In my mind, he was trying to fire, keep himself hyped, to use one of his words. And then also, he feeds off the crowd so much. He wasn't doing it at LeBron or the bench. He was turned with his back towards the bench, hyping up the fans in the first row right there at Ralph Reese's first row seats. Yeah, but go watch, go watch the second quarter. When Lance was getting his little rhythm, yeah, when he was defending him during him. two of the dead balls, he was on LeBron and didn't move. And when LeBron moved, he just laid on him the whole time. And LeBron's looking at him like, "What are you doing?" You know, that's the type of stuff that I look at, and it's like, just why, why, why try to wake him up? Why do you want? I mean, I understand being a competitor and setting the tone and yada yada yada, but you just can't do that to LeBron. You know, you could maybe do that to a rookie or a first-year playoff guy and, you know, psych him out or get him out of his game. The more mad LeBron is, the better he plays, the more focused he gets, the more you end up paying in the long run. That's a characteristic that some of those best players have is the ability to to turn that – that negativity or the annoying pest and just go dominate. And Jordan had it. LeBron has it. I think Steph, KD probably have it as well. I think PG has it. I think PG has it to an extent because when things go bad or going bad, PG usually cranks it up a notch. I just think, I just wish he would spend less time with the officiating. That's one of my big criticisms with him. But superstars do that. I mean, he gets hammered a lot. They all do though. It's the playoffs. Nobody gets calls. Yeah, and and he's got a good case for some of that because we've seen over the last several years the last two-minute report, and so many of them have gone against Paul George. Let's wrap up here, Jason. It feels like we've gone for 15 minutes, and it's about 45 minutes later. <laughs> always. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the case, no doubt. We don't We don't expect the Pacers to come back in this one. What would make Pacer fans or you feel good about the way this way this season ended, both in terms of Paul George and this roster? Oh, I think if you just have one more competitive game, if they're just competitive again this next game, I don't even think you have to win. I think just being competitive and, you know, if you can keep it within single digits, have a chance to win it at the end, then I think you leave the season feeling like we're right there. Because it's very realistic that the Pacers could be up 2-1 right now. It is. If they hit a shot at the end of the first game, last night you're up 25. And I think that's enough to give you the encouragement going into next year. Like, if we can get one more piece, it kind of brings you back to the David West, PG, George Hill, Roy Hibbert days where it's like, maybe we just need one more piece and we can get over the hump. I would like to see this team get a win. If they could break that streak of first-round wins for LeBron-led teams, if they could kind of make do, make up, you could say, for that first round, that first game in Cleveland, which is one they were so close to having. If they did win that, I think Game 3, Game 2 would have played out differently and probably perhaps double-digit losses. But they, they should have had that one, and they let it slip through their hands. Yeah, and it's – so it's – I think personally as a Pacers supporter that it's already their three competitive games. It's tided me over for their season. It's kind of like, you know, all right, we were decent. We had the chance to be really good. PG still really good. And 
that's that. The big question that's then is, of, is it enough to keep Paul George? And that remains to be seen. So much to to be decided upon that with the All-NBA award and, and such. But you need to show Paul that you can win. They got into the playoffs. They're not a lottery team. They haven't been a lottery team with the exception of the year he's been injured. But you well, need to you take just, that next step. You can step. look at it, too. Like, is this, is this the version of, like, this is like playing in the finals for the Pacers. You beat the Cavs, it's like you're not going to play anybody better. That's true. So essentially, you're playing in the you're playing in the quote finals for us against the Cavs, and you've and you're losing very 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 competitive games. And if you can play with Cleveland in the postseason, you can play with anybody. So, you know, there's a lot of stuff with the PG and the money and the max player extension and all that that is uncontrollable right now. But if I'm Larry and I'm the front office and all them, I'm going to PG right when the series is over and saying, we're right there. If you stay, we can get over this hump. Yeah, that's got to be the message to him during his exit interview is we, we're going to trust us. We'll make some positive change to this roster in July. Nate McMillan will have a, a year under his belt back to being a head coach. Stay with us. Invest in us as we continue to invest in you. That's got to be at least yeah, the message. Think- yeah, it's like, do you think you can go somewhere else and play Cleveland to four straight games within 10 points? The thing is, if you leave, where are you going? In the East, you're facing LeBron. In the West, you got a number of teams, always San Antonio. At least for the near future, it's Golden State. You're always going to have the pest that is Houston and James Harden. I don't know. It's a good question. That's for a future day. It is. <laughs> Jason, I appreciate the time. We'll continue our conversations off the podcast. Appreciate it, Ben. All right. Thanks, Scott. Well, my thanks again to Jason Smithers for joining me here on the show. Played collegiate basketball, played overseas, pro, Australia, other countries uh, before an injury and an illness kept him out of the game. If you need a trainer, if you got a high school kid, if you got a, a middle school kid really wanting to learn the the fundamentals of basketball, He's over at St. Vincent Sports Performance with the great Rob Blackwell. They work with these NBA guys. They work with middle schoolers. Check them out at Grant Park with St. Vincent Sports Performance. Well, the Pacers are down 3-0. We'll see if the Pacers can pick up a victory. It's going to be awfully tough. This Cavaliers team is going to be focused, locked in, and confident after winning the first three games and looking ahead to their second-round matchup. But it would be a huge victory if the Pacers can pull off a victory in front of the home crowd. All fans in attendance will receive a jersey towel. Not just a towel, but it's in the form of a jersey with 17. Not Andrew Bynum, not Mike Dunleavy. 17 for 2017, obviously. Well, this has been another Vigilant Sports Pacers podcast. I appreciate any feedback you have to offer, favorably or not. Subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Tell a friend about the podcast. Let's get our numbers up. Let's get us into the top charts when it comes to professional sports podcasts. That does it for this episode. I'll talk to you again soon.